A wonderful good morning to all of you. We have a day that the Lord has made and we want to rejoice today uh, because God loves us and he has got something good for us once again. <clears throat> today I want to share with you a word that I called building a light, life of greatness. <clears throat> I believe all of us have a desire for greatness in our hearts and lives. And this is not by accident. This is because God laid it there. You know, when God created us, he created us in, in his own image and likeness. <clears throat> and deep down inside of us, there is that uh, longing, that desire <clears throat> that we will become like our creator. Now, unfortunately, many people misunderstand it and they are trying to build a life of greatness in ways that are not intended by God. Greatness in terms of money, in terms of being famous, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, bossing other people around. But that is not what I'm talking about when I talk about the life of greatness. Along the way, I'm sure you will understand what greatness is all about because God wants us to be great, <clears throat> just like our Lord Jesus Christ is great <clears throat> because he is our pattern. He is the one who has been given to us so that we follow in his footsteps. So today I want to uh, share with you a word uh, that gives us that pattern of living in the life of David. Now, he's not the only one that God used in order to show us a pattern of living, but he's one of the outstanding patterns that God used because even David is fashioned after the greater son, the pattern son, Jesus Christ. Now, you may say David lived before Jesus, and that is true, but the very David was prophesying about the son many times in the Psalms. For instance, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. So he understood that uh, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, is the one he should li live his life after because he was uh, used by God in many ways to bring truths out about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now today I want to uh, read a scripture from the book of Samuel chapter 5 and verse 6. Samuel chapter 5 and verse 6, the Bible reads here, Now the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. And they said to David, <clears throat> You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will turn you away, thinking... David cannot enter there. Nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. So David lived, that is verse 9 now, so David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from the Milo and inward. David became greater and greater, for the Lord God of hosts was with him. I want to emphasize this last verse. David became greater and greater for the Lord of the Lord God of hosts was with him. I'll break this down a little bit later, but you know in some of your translations 
it says David became strong. Uh, but the word that is used there actually has got so many different powerful meetings, but it, it, it means that really somebody is growing into greatness. We'll come to that a little bit later on. Now, Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. The Bible reads here, after removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Praise God. Let us pray. Lord our God, we want to thank you so much that you give us your words so that we learn from you. Lord Jesus, I pray that may this word become alive to us. May we be able to fashion our own lives according to this pattern of David, which is patterned according to the life of Christ. So Lord Jesus, make us hear, make us understand, and make us do the very word that you bring before us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. David's life was fashioned after the pattern of Christ, as I have said earlier on. And, uh, you know, even so, David lived hundreds of years before Jesus came. That does not mean that Jesus, you know, uh, who was living in the flesh at that time, was not there prior in Christ, the eternal son of the living God. So Jesus was born at a time of uh, God's uh, choosing, you know, given prophecies in the Old Testament so many times about the coming of the Messiah, the King. But then Jesus was just simply a manifestation of the Christ in the flesh. And that we must really understand. Now, understand that God created man as the crown of his creation. So Adam, when he was created, was meant to be the pattern for all of the, the children that would ever be born into the family of mankind. But unfortunately, Adam failed and he became a negative pattern, a pattern of failure, a pattern of sin, instead of being a pattern of right and great living. And because Adam had failed to be living according to the pattern of uh, God, you know, that he had desired him to live by, by being a ruler over the earth, be able to reign on behalf of uh, God uh, in this creation, God then decided to send another son, another Adam, and that was Jesus our Lord. Okay? Now, Jesus is the true pattern son of God. And every life is supposed to be fashioned according to his life. When we look at Jesus, we see greatness. Even so, he was coming as a servant into this world. He was a king. And uh, people may never have seen him as a king, but even Pilate, a Roman uh, you know, uh, ruler in, in, in 
in Jerusalem was uh, discovering that he was a king. And he even wrote on top of his cross, this is the king of the Jews. So Jesus was known as a servant. When we read the scriptures, especially the book of Mark, where he's uh, outlined as the servant. But he's not just a servant, he's the servant king. And in many ways, we can see that the life of David is patterned after Christ. Now, imagine G uh, David started as a shepherd boy, okay? He was not felt to be so important as to be in the gathering when the prophet Samuel came. And yet the uh, prophet Samuel was sent to the family of Jesse, the father of David, because God said, go and anoint the new king in the house of Jesse. And when Jesse arrived there, he found seven sons of uh, Jesse, but the Lord said, this is not the one, this is not the one, this is not the one. Even so, Elijah had the impression there was, there was a great young man who probably would be the anointed one. God said to him, don't look at the outside, but you must look the way I look at the heart of the person. And so after he had looked at all of the seven, he finally asked the question uh, to, to uh, Jesse, don't you have another son? And only then he says, well, there is another one. Of course, Jesse probably thought he is not that important. After all, he's just a shepherd boy. After all, he was just serving. You know, how could he be a ruler in his house? He was just too young. He was just too, you know, inexperienced. He was just out in the field. But then exactly that is what God decided to call. That man, that young man, that shepherd boy, is what the Lord called. Let me just read from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 10. You know, you can read the whole chapter in your own time, but 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 10, the Bible says, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but, okay, maybe sometimes you also feel somebody is saying, but, you're not so important, okay? You don't really matter. You know, many times we are feeling in the very same position that people say, but, no need to consider this one. That's exactly what Jesse said, but he is tending the sheep. And someone said, send for him, we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent him, had him brought in, and he was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him, he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel went then went to Ramah. So let me read this again. And from that day, after his anointing, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Praise God. 
You see, the anointing of the Lord is very important. Now, thank God, uh, uh, differently uh, to what we are seeing in the, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, God wants all of us to be kings and priests. God wants all of us to be anointed. God wants all of us to run our race and win the race. Apostle Paul says, run in such a way that you win the prize. You know, in the Olympics, there can only be one gold medal winner. Or, uh, you know, there was actually one, one competition where there were two gold medal winners and no silver because they couldn't really uh, differentiate. They were always the same level. So uh, two won the same gold medal. But normally, there's only one who wins gold, one who wins silver, one who wins prongs, and the rest gets nothing. They had the privilege of being there. Okay? Now, in the kingdom of God, it's not like that, you know? God has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light so that we all come to the saving knowledge of Christ and that we all reign with Christ and that we all are becoming heirs of God, heirs of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That is our destiny. So we are not supposed to be uh, entering, and then halfway down we stop, but we are meant to go all the way to fulfill our calling and uh, live in, our, in the destiny of God in our lives. So Christ came into the flesh, and he is forming people according to his image. But we are also seeing many people that God had used before us, you know, not only since Christ has come, but even in the Old Testament, we see that Christ formed people's life according to his own image. You know, we could mention Abel, one of the first people on the face of the earth, one of the sons of Adam and Eve. And even so, Adam and Eve failed, and they were not good patterns for living. Abel was able to live in the pattern of Christ. You know, in everything that he did and saw, there is not much written about him in the Bible, but enough to show us that Abel was living in the very pattern of the Christ. Then we see people like Noah, who walked with God and was able to live in the pattern of Christ. Then we see Abraham, we see David, and many others after that who were living lives of righteousness, you know, we see prophets like Moses, prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and many others who were living their lives according to the pattern of the Christ. And they lived before Christ, but they were still more guided into the footsteps of our Lord and Savior, the Christ, the eternal Christ, the Son of the living God. So David was a shepherd boy. But God anointed him. And the Bible told us, right as we have been reading this word, that from that day on, the power of God, the spirit of God was on him. You see, this is exactly what we see in the life of Christ. Now, Christ is the eternal son of God. He was a king before he came into this world. But when he came, he humbled himself and he became a servant. He became obedient. And as Philippians tells us, even obedient to the very cross that he was willing to die. So Jesus was going through the same pattern 
like David. And you know, I believe that anyone who wants to rule with Christ, anyone who understands that he has to run the race and win and eventually reign with him must know that we have to start our, our run, our race, first of all, as people who are willing to serve. You know, David was willing to go out into the fields and take care of the sheep. And he didn't see this as a burden. Actually, he learned a lot of lessons through that. No wonder he could write later on Psalm 23, where he said, the Lord is my shepherd. So he's not somebody who, st who sat in a, in a city on a table and then he said, the Lord is my shepherd, who knows nothing about shepherding. No, David knew what it means about shepherding. David knew about the pastures that we need, the green grass that the sheep need. He knew about the fresh water that is required. He knew about all of these details, and that's why he could pen down this powerful psalm about the Lord, our shepherds. And you know, the Lord, who is our shepherd, that Psalm 23 has become such an encouragement, such a life source for people ever since then, for the people of God. So, you know, we see David as a servant. But he was anointed to be king. And yet, it took time for him to actually rise to the throne. Just like Jesus, he was anointed, but he was still in servanthood. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 4, let me just read that. Luke 4, 17. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and rolling it, he found the place where it is written. You can read it in, this, in, in, in Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Can you see that? Can you see the parallel to David's life? Actually, it's not only to David's life, it's to your life and my life. God has anointed us. Okay? And Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom of for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus was a servant he started his ministry serving people, helping people, healing people, lifting people up. But he was anointed to be king, but he was not king. The first time when somebody recognized him as a king was when Pilate said, are you not a king then? And he even wrote in this inscription, the king of the Jews nailed it to the cross together with the man who was dying on that cross. But little did Pilate understand that actually the words that he wrote were prophecy. Little did he understand that for sure this man was a king and actually 
He was lifted up on that day to a cross to die. But in reality, the word of God says, Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And he was not just only talking about the cross, but he was talking about the lifting up to the throne of God, the rulership of God. And that is what we must understand. Now, Psalm chapter 2, verse 6 tells us, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I've proclaimed the decree of the Lord. And he said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your position. Now that is a prophecy found in the book of Psalms. Okay, long, long time ago. But you know, we must understand these are words of prophecy that have become fulfilled. And Jesus says, in your very hearing, these words have become real. These have been fulfilled. And so let us understand that God is working his plans out. You know, as we have been learning throughout the year, that God is a God of planning, that a God is, is a God of organization, that God is a God of fulfilling what, has he, what he has promised in his, in his word. So God says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy, holy hill. Now we must understand that when we enter into the, the sphere of rulership, when we begin to reign with Christ, that we may not immediately be in the place where God wants us to eventually end up but we may only be partially ruling. Okay, I think that's very important. What do I mean with that? You see, when David finally became king after Saul, who he served, had died, he became a king, but he didn't immediately rule the whole nation of Israel. He only ruled one tribe. Now, what I want you to understand, David was not looking to overthrow the king. David was not interested in seeing Saul brought down. In fact, he had great respect for Saul because he called him the anointed one. Just like David himself was anointed, he understood even Saul was anointed. And he was very, very careful to serve Saul diligently and faithfully. You see, finally, uh, or, or let me say, when, when uh, David was, was anointed, he was becoming the object of another service that was required. And the Bible tells us that King Saul, who had fallen away from the grace of God, had become depressed many times. Went through uh, many situations where they didn't know how to handle him. And so they were looking for somebody who would be able to serve him, who would be able to play uh, the harp uh, and, and, and make the kind of uh, anointed music that, you know, uh, 
Saul would, would be able to be better. Now let me read this scripture uh, to you as well. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 18. Now that's the same chapter where we have seen that uh, David was anointed to be king. Now, a few verses later, one of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent a message to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey, loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent him with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play. Then the relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better. And the evil spirit would leave him. So, you know, God used David in order to serve the king. Even so, that king, Saul, had fallen. That king was no longer walking with God, but God used the anointed one of God to serve the former king, or the, the still present king at that time. And David regarded him highly because he knew that he was the anointed one of God. So eventually, what we have been reading here would change. You know, the Bible says that uh, Saul liked David very much. But eventually, he saw in him a competition. Eventually, he saw in him somebody who would uh, want his, his, his uh, throne. And so he persecuted him. He wanted to kill him. Uh, there are chapters and chapters which you can read in the very book of uh, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, where you can see how, how uh, Saul was turning around and, and, and persecuting David. And of course, we see the same in the life of Christ. You know, Christ who was a servant, who served and helped and healed, was persecuted by the same people who had fallen away from the grace of God. So we see that what what God has uh, uh, shown us in the life of David is also what happened in the life of Christ. So we can see the pattern there. Now, when Saul persecuted David, there were two occasions where David was in a position, in a, in a location where he could have easily killed Samuel. And some people wanted to do that. But David said, we must not touch the Lord's anointed one. You know, this is a scripture that very often is repeated today. Even so, it's wrongly repeated many times. Okay. But uh, we, we see this is a scripture uh, that shows us the high respect that David had for the anointing of God on Saul's life. Even Saul, even so Saul was fallen, Saul was no longer walking with God, but David respected the anointing of God. So he would not touch the, 
the, the, the life of, of Saul. At one time, he cut the corner of his, of his clothes, okay? And after he had done that, you know, he just wanted to have that, to just to show David, I'm not after your life. You know, I have a proof here. I can, I can show you. I could have killed you, but I didn't do it. But even that became a burden to him. Like he had a, a conscience telling him that was not the right thing to do. So imagine what kind of integrity David had, what kind of servant he was, what kind of high regard he was placing in the anointing of God. Well, eventually, God dealt with Saul, and Saul died. It's an old story. You can read it in your own time. Uh, but it's important that we understand that. He did not die because David or even his men killed him. No, actually, they always went away from Saul. They didn't want to clash with him in any way. So what we see is that when David was hearing about the death of Saul and even his son, Jonathan, whom he loved so much, he was mourning. He was grieving for quite some time. But then God lifted him up into rulership to reign on behalf of Saul. Let me just read for you from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible says, For if by the trespasses of one man death reigns through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So all of us, we are called to reign. All of us, we are called to be reinstated in the very calling of Adam, who was given authority to reign over the earth. And that has been reinstated in Christ. So it's not just a few of us, you know, but it's all of us who are receiving Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are meant to be rulers and reigning with Christ. Amen? So don't say this is just for the pastors in the church or for the prophets or for whatever. No, this is for all of us, okay? Uh, unlike in the Old Testament where maybe David could rise to be a king, of course, there could only be one at a time. But in the New Testament, we must understand that we are all called to reign with Christ. We are all called to run to win the race. We are all being privileged to be heirs of the inheritance of our gods, joined heirs with Christ. Now, I want you to see one very important fact here, <clears throat> that when David was installed to be king, <clears throat> he was beginning to rule, but he was not ruling everything. He was actually not even ruling from the very place that he was supposed to rule from, and that is from Zion. You know, Zion is the hill of God. You know, Zion is the place which, of course, is also uh, identical with Jerusalem. And that is where God says he is going to install his king. You know, as we have been reading from Psalm chapter 2, verse 6, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. 
So that did not happen when David began to rule. For seven and a half years, he was ruling the tribe of Judah in Hebron, which is in the south, okay? He was not ruling the whole of Israel as yet. Because in Israel, there were still the Jebusites, okay? The Jebusites were a tribe of people who had come under the judgment of God. And in fact, when the people of Israel came into the promised land by guided by Joshua, he had made very clear instructions or gave them very clear instructions that they need to deal with those, some of those tribes who had come under the judgment of God. Unfortunately, the Israelites were becoming in, uh, disobedient themselves and never fulfilled all the call that God gave them to be. And that's the reason why many of these tribes which were supposed to be judged, which were supposed to be eradicated, remained in the land and became a snare to them at different occasions along their, their journey. So the Jebusites were still in the land, okay? Now there were enemies, the Philistines and the Moabites and you know, many of the other enemies, but the Jebusites were right inside Israel. And uh, the place that we call Jerusalem today what was called Jebus. It was the city of the Jebusites. And God said, this is the place which I want to install you as a king. Now, we must understand, of course, uh, that many of those uh, places that we see in the Middle East were uh, speaking about, prophetically, about places that are in the spiritual realm. And there is a, there is a sign in the heavens. There is a Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem in the heavens that is not the same like the Jerusalem on earth. But, you know, God was lifting, uh, you know, the, the kingship of David from Hebron eventually to come to the place of Jerusalem. So, Jebusites. Who are the Jebusites? Are the Jebusites still here today? You know, the Jebusites are occupying places which we as the people of God are supposed to occupy. You know, the Jebusites are people who are allowing evil to prevail, which we are supposed to bring to an end. And you know, this is real even in our lives. You know, we all face Jebusites, okay? We all have the experience of people who are, who are in, interfering with our life, who are not allowing us to be rulers where we are supposed to be rulers. God says you must be a king, you know, I want you to be installed in Zion. But the Jebusite were making fun of David and says you will never get in here. And you know, maybe you are facing some Jebusites as well. Maybe you are not ruling in your life the way Christ wants to rule you. You know, this is true in our, in our you know, living on earth because many times when God has given rulership to us as Christians or even to other rulers that are, that are put in charge, that they are not able to take care of all the land. Yeah, they rule, but they don't rule everything. You know, it was about 20 years ago, God gave me a, a word of prophecy, and I didn't know what it meant at the time. I didn't even know how to, how to really express it, but I, I gave it to the person 
God instructed me to give it to. And uh, because I didn't want to uh, put it in words, I, I put it on a, on, a, on a piece of paper, just like God had shown me. And God had shown me, you know, that there was a building of a bridge over a wide river. And then the bridge was being built. It was, you know, moving forward smoothly until a certain point, somewhere halfway in the river. I'm sure when you have seen some of the pictures, uh, you know, recently as the bridge of uh, uh, at Kasangula was built over Zambezi, you have seen that, you know, the bridge is hanging over the water. But you can't get across because, you know, eventually the bridge stops and you can't get to the other side because there is a gap in between. And so God showed me this picture and uh, I really didn't know what it was about, but I, 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 you know, I felt I needed to give it to a certain gentleman, and I did that. And uh, later on, I could see that what God had said, you know, was becoming reality. You know, that there was a ruling halfway across, and then it stopped. And, you know, the danger in our life is that we begin to do something, but we never finish it. You know, because there are Jebusites in the land, because there are enemies in the land, there are people who are making fun of us, there are people who are trying to, to, to block us in one way or the other, we begin to settle down. We are, we are becoming, uh, you know, somehow uh, happy enough with what we have achieved. But God is not asking you to live your, your life halfway God is not saying you must rule 50%. You know, he wants you to be able to reign with Christ throughout your lifetime. And yes, of course, there are, there are different dimensions in our life. You know, our, our way of rulership is going to grow as we, are, as we are going forward in life. But we should never say, okay, I've managed what, I'm, what I've achieved. I'm happy enough with it. That is not up to us. God has called us for greater things. And so, you know, we must really do the very best in our own lives as well as in our nation so that we're not seeing rulership halfway, but that we see it all the way. That we are not reigning just for 50% or 25% or 30% or even 60% in our life, but that we are able to take charge 100% of everything that God has entrusted into our hands. Amen? So clearly, God is desiring that we, that we fulfill the call of God in our life. So eventually, David gathered courage. You know, he had been in so many battles. You know, he was somebody who was not easily afraid. You see that in the story of jo uh, uh, Goliath and David. You know, I mean, he was able to confront this giant Goliath and was able to bring him down. So eventually he decided, I'm not called just for Hebron to rule over one tribe. I'm called to rule over 12 tribes. Okay? And so David decided that he would go and take the city of Jebus, okay, as it was then called, because it was the headquarters of the Jebusites. 
Okay? So, David and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. And they were taunting him. They were making fun of him. He says, you will never come here. And why were they so confident? They were confident because Jerusalem, or Jebus as it was called, was a fortified city. Okay? Nobody was able to ever conquer it before. And so David devised a plan that he would not conquer it as everybody else was conquering it, but he tried to understand the, you know, the whole uh, inside of the, of the administration of that city. And so he understood there was a water shaft, okay, probably, you know, uh, where water was, was taken in and also where sewage was taken out. Now, if you think about sewage, if this was the place where they went through, that was not a nice way to go through. But through that way, he was able to come with his men inside the city and conquer it from within. Okay? And the Bible tells us that after he had conquered the city, you know, he captured the stronghold of Zion, which he called the city of David's. Okay, very powerful. Now, really, my, my focus here is that verse 9 says, David lived in the stronghold, okay, that stronghold of Jerusalem, and called it the city of David, and David built all around from the Milo and inward. Now, the question is, what is Milo? You know, Milo is uh, the fortification, the wall, or the... Uh, the rampart that was being built, the security uh, wall. And the Bible says that David went from there inwards. Okay, now that's a very powerful uh, concept. The word built, as it is used here, is the word bana, which means actually building a family, building your house. And you know the Bible tells us about the house of David from eventually whom, uh, where, where Jesus eventually came from. The house of David became strong. It doesn't say that Jesus didn't make any mistakes. We know that David was a human being, and yes, he made some mistakes. But he had a house that was so strong that Jesus was giving, that God gave him a promise that you will never fail to have a ruler in the house of David. And even Christ is a ruler that came from the house of David. That's amazing, isn't it? So David built his house. Once he was installed in Zion, he was able to build his house. And you know, his house, that is also a, 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 a picture of the church, the ecclesia, the people who are called out from darkness into his light. So we, we see that the stronghold of the, of the life of David was that he was in relationship with others. You know, you can see that even before when he had uh, men following him, and some of them were poor and they were outcasts, but he brought them together and formed them into the giants of the land. You know, they were the men of David who were able to be mighty warriors in the future. And you know, this is something very important. You see, you can never come to greatness if you don't have a place to operate from. Okay, that's important. We must have a place where we're operating from. 
And David had a place to operate from, a place of strength. That was the house that he built, the family, the nation, the, the, very, the very people of God that were uh, put on his side by God the Father. Okay? Now, verse 10 tells us. Now, listen here. I'm talking about greatness, okay? Let me read this again. David lived in the stronghold called the city of David. And David built all around from the middle in and inward. Okay, so he, he built a place of substance, a place of strength. Not just himself alone, but the people who were with him the nation that was around him, inward. And that's very important. You know, if you want to be great, you must make, that you make sure that you build yourself and that you are part of uh, the people of God that put, God put you into. Then the Bible says, And David became greater and greater, for the Lord God was of hosts was him, with him. Now, the, 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 the word greater and greater is a, a very interesting word in the Hebrew called gadal. Now, the word gadal means a lot of things, okay? It doesn't mean just become more powerful, like some translations are saying, or more strong, but actually it means that you grow in strength. You become greater and more powerful along the way. You know, there's a, there's the, the word gadal means to grow into greatness into strength. Amazing word. Okay, and that is the word that the Bible tells us about David. He became greater and greater. And you know, God wants you to become greater and greater. For us to become greater and greater, number one, we need to have a strong base. Okay, we need to have a house like this one. We need to build our life inward. We need to be you know, together strongly in relationship with brothers and sisters and fellow sons of God, okay? That is a requirement. You cannot become greater if you don't have a basis where to work from, okay? The second thing that we see here, and that is even more important, okay? Or maybe is it the third thing or the fourth thing? Because also you need to first enter into, into Jerusalem, okay? You need to defeat the Jebusites, uh, the Jebusites in your life, okay? There's a lot of things in order to really come into greatness. But, you know, when you are finally have done, dealt with the Jebusites, then you are in the, in the city that you need to build, your city, your jurisdiction. You need to be a ruler that is able to live out of this, the power of Christ. Now, the Bible says David became greater and greater for. Okay, there's a reason for that. For the Lord God of hosts was with him. Now, that sounds simple enough. Maybe you say, oh, yeah, the Lord is with me. Let me tell you, these few words have got very, very, very powerful and deep meanings. Okay? You see, if God is on your side, that's a lot. But, you know, it doesn't just say God. It just says something else. Why does God use this uh, very description 
that we find here. The Bible says, for the Lord God of hosts was with him. Now, what we are reading in the English is not, of course, what was there in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it says Jehovah. And Jehovah is the ever-existing one. You know, Jehovah who introduced himself to Moses, I am who I am. Okay? Uh, Moses wanted to know what is your name, and God says, I am who I am. I'm the ever-existing one. Okay? So, you know, when you are standing with the ever-existing one, you stand safe. You are not shaken. You are not uh, becoming uh, overpowered easily by uh, every wind of, of, of enemies or, uh, that, are, that are blowing around you, you know. When you are standing with the ever-existing one, you can be strong, okay? Then the, the second word, you know, the, the Bible says, the Lord God. And the word that is being used here, Lord means the Jehovah, or Yahweh, the I am that I am, and then gods, okay? The word for God here in the Hebrew is Elohim. Okay, now Elohim is a very interesting word. Elohim means the true God. Okay, but Elohim is a plural word. Okay, whenever you say him at the end in a, in a Hebrew word, then it means plural. Now, is that not contradicting what the Jews were believing? Because the Jews believe that God is one, okay? And uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, the Bible says, Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But then, you see, again, the word one is not a numerical word, okay? You have got one, two, three, four, uh, and, and that, that means you cannot divide one, okay? But then you can also have a word as being one in spirit, okay? We are saying, so we are many, we are just one body, isn't it? We sing that song, so we are many, you know, but we are one body, isn't it? And that's a teaching that God gives us through the breaking of the bread, for instance, in many different ways, we are one. And so when, when, when God says, I'm Elohim, he tells us that he is Father, that he is Son, and that he is Holy Spirit, and yet united as one, okay? So he is not a numerical one, but a united one. Okay? That we must understand. And so when God says, when the word of God says, and God does not make mistakes, you know, every word in the Bible has a real deep meaning. For the Lord God of hosts was with him. That's why he was great. And Lord, uh, the Lord wants to show us here, if we are to become great, number one, we need to have a basis. We need to build our inward life. Okay, not only in our heart, in our emotions, in our, in our thinking, but also inward with our brothers and sisters. Inward with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And then we need to live in the presence of the Lord Jehovah, the one who is and who was and who will be. And that means that we are in fellowship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to us when he was about to leave, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send you the Holy Spirit to be with you forever. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we are supposed to be, be, be together. We are supposed to relate to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit, our comforter. The Holy Spirit, our strength. The Holy Spirit having given us anointing. And Jesus, the one who guides us closer and closer to the Father. You know, this is the reason for strength. This is the reason to become greater and greater. Becoming greater and greater has nothing to do with our power, you know, in terms of muscles. It has got nothing to do with uh, money or influence or fame or witchcraft or religion. You know, there are many things that people boast about in this world. Some people, they boast about cars or mansions or being millionaire or even billionaire. You know, but that all this is not what counts. Greatness comes from having a base, having been built from within, within the body of Christ. And then being in union with the I am who I am having fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that was the reason for the greatness of David. And I tell you, that will be the reason for your greatness as well. You see, today, Christianity has really gone astray because they think they're becoming great because they have stuff. Stuff never makes you great because stuff will disappear in no time whatsoever. Okay, material things, they will not last forever. When you stand before God, all your, all your pockets will be empty. What counts then is who you are. Okay, who you have become. How you have built yourself from within. You know, how you relate to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is what makes us great. And so, brothers and sisters, let us focus on becoming great. There's nothing wrong with becoming great in God. In fact, God put that desire into our hearts that we become great. Okay? God does not want us to fail in our, in our walk in this world and not to reach our destiny. No, he wants us to reach our destiny. And our destiny is to become great just like our gods. Okay? Because we are called to be sons of the living God. We are called to be joint heirs with Christ. So we are supposed to rise to the level, to the, full, to the full stature of Christ. And that is what is going to make us great. And we see this very clearly in the life of, of Christ. So, you know, it's good to start, but it's not good enough to have started and saying, okay, I have enough now. No, we need to go all the way. We need to rule according to the call of God in our lives. Amen? And so we must make sure that we see that rulership that God has given to us as the people of God being exercised. You know, we have a, a, a great calling to be a positive influence to our nation. Because remember, the Bible tells us that... Uh, God said to the son, you know, the father said to the son, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Okay? 
The Lord said to my Lord in Psalm 110, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for my feet. Okay? They're enemies. They're Jebusites. Okay? And Jesus cannot come until all the Jebusites are being dealt with. Until all the enemies are being dealt with. Are you dealing with your Jebusites? In our nation, Zambia, are we dealing with the Jebusites? Okay, there are too many Jebusites. No, I, I don't need to tell you a lot. I, I just walk, can mention one word and you know exactly what it is. Corruption, you know. That's one of the Jebusites that we are dealing with. Are we able to deal with the Jebusites or are also we are playing along with the Jebusites again? Okay, because many Christians, many Christians have just become part of the Jebusite system. Instead of ruling, instead of bringing down that Jebusite system, we are part of the system. And we must be rulers. We are not able to fulfill our calling in God if we are not defeating the Jebusite spirit. That spirit is still very much around us. So remember, God wants you to become great, but you don't become great by ruling in Hebron halfway. Okay? You must go all the way. You need to deal with the Jebusites. You need to build your own base, your own life. You need to be part of building the church because that's a base God has given to us from which we can rule in power and in strength. So we are all encouraged to make the pattern of David our own pattern. So that we reign through Christ, getting prepared for the eternal dimension in God. Okay? We are sons of God and we are to walk in the footsteps of David and even more so these footsteps of Jesus Christ who is the servant king who wants us to rule with him for eternity to come. You know, there are many things which we don't yet know. You know, there's a future that we have no clue about. Just like we don't know much what happened before the Big Bang, okay, before this world came into existence, except a few hints that God gives us in his word. So we also don't know much what is happening after the New Jerusalem finally appears and what God is going to do with us then, okay? But then we have got few hints that again we will rule with Christ. In which ways? We can just have imaginations. We don't fully understand. But God has brought us here to prepare us for greatness, to build us to become great. Just as much as David, who was even living before Christ, became great. You and I, who can even look back to the life of Jesus our Lord, we ought to become great in life. So brothers and sisters, don't live average or below average. You know, God does not want us to live below the poverty line. Okay, and I'm not using this word necessarily in terms of money. I use that in terms of spiritual power, spiritual ability. Okay, God has called us to be rulers with Christ. Let us not fail like Adam has failed, but let us walk in the footsteps of David who managed to rule, okay? 
who extended his rulership from Hebron, where he was ruling for seven and a half years, and then went to Zion, Jerusalem. You know, the city of God. You know, which, which really, Jerusalem really means to, to come to full completion. And he ruled there for the rest of his rulership for 33 years. So brothers and sisters, God has called you to be great and to grow in greatness. He is the Jehovah, the ever-existing one. He is the Elohim, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he's the God of hosts. You know, hosts has a connotation to be uh, to, 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 to the, the angel world, all the creatures of God. And, and, and God is the one who brings forth the hosts of heaven. Okay? Also, it's a reference to the stars of heaven. And, you know, God said, he, I'm light. You know, he, I'm the light of the world. So the light is coming forth. Okay? So, brothers and sisters, don't settle for less than what God has promised you. God has called you to be great. May God give you grace and give, give all of us grace to rise to that greatness that he has called us for. Let us pray. Lord our God, we want to thank you so much for your presence today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can come to this place to build our life from the base, inwards, as a body of Christ, as the ecclesia, and Lord, also in our own personal lives, in our family lives, and even in our nation. Lord Jesus, we pray for the church. We pray for the families of the church, and we pray for our nation, Lord because you have a plan for all of this to come into rulership. And Lord Jesus, we, we long to see that reign through Christ. Lord Jesus, help us that we are not walking our own ways, that we are not doing what comes in our mind, what we feel is good for ourselves. But Lord, help us that we are guided by you, our God. So, Lord Jesus, we long for that relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in our life. So that, Lord, Lord, we can really reach our destiny in greatness in your very own presence. So, Lord, let your anointing be upon each and every one. Lord, guide us through your Spirit. And let us grow from strength to strength, from greatness to to greatness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.